Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. Thank you for the scriptures and the opportunity to get to preach your word today, Lord. We thank you for everything that you do for us and how you maintain us and sustain us. In the name of the Son, amen. I assume many of us have been invited to a wedding and had to go out and buy something to wear. I know I have. I also feel safe in assuming that none of us have ever been invited to a wedding and the father of the groom himself gave us an outfit at the door. At least not near the wedding, because in the gospel reading for today, we heard about a great feast that isn't merely a feast, but is in fact the story of Israel's relationship with God, told in a parable that echoes a prophecy in Isaiah. In Matthew 22, verses 2-4, through 4, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the marriage feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, Behold, I have made ready my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the marriage feast. And let us compare that with Isaiah 22, 6, which says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast, of fat things, a feast of wine on the leaves, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the leaves well refined. And even our psalm reading for today, Psalm 23 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Here we see that God has invited the people into his presence and offered up the best feast imaginable. God is giving the Israelites the opportunity to be the beneficiaries of his covenant. The wedding feast in scripture often signifies the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. But there's something more going on here with this feast. The oxen is generally understood to be an allusion to the animal sacrifices of the old covenant. And the fattened calves tend to refer to wheat-fed calves, which has been understood as an allusion to the bread of the Eucharist, the sacrifice of the new covenant. The Father is giving his people, his Son, as the bridegroom and as the feast itself. Let us never forget what is happening when we come to this table, and let us never lose sight of how amazing and how beautiful the Blessed Sacrament is, that we get to experience the splendor of the Incarnation every week in the bread and the wine, and that we look forward to the glory of the throne room of heaven for all eternity. However, in verses 5 and 6 in Matthew, we see that they rejected the invitation. But they made light of it and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. We see this all throughout Scripture. The Israelites treat the prophets of God with contempt and finally even hand Jesus over to be crucified. But this angered the king, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city, or as Isaiah says in verse 2, for thou hast made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the palace of aliens is a city no more, it will never be rebuilt. And at least to me this comes across as a prophecy of the destruction 
of the temple and the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD, signifying that God's covenant with the Israelites is over and fulfilled and he has begun grafting in the Gentiles. Matthew 22, 8-10, Jesus says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the thoroughfares and invite to the marriage feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So far, we've seen what this wedding feast is and how we as Gentiles received an invitation. But how do we get in? If we turn back to Matthew 22, verses 11 through 14, Jesus says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So what could we possibly understand this wedding garment to be, if not the sacrament of holy baptism, in which we put on Christ and are made righteous in him? Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3, show us this when David said, He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Why would the father be confused how a wedding guest entered the feast without a wedding garment if he wasn't hanging them out at the door himself? Baptism isn't something you do, but it is done to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And how glorious that is that he leads me in paths of righteousness. Not my righteousness, but his righteousness. Just like the call for today states, O oh God, our refuge and strength, true source of all godliness. We are only admitted to the feast because the Father deemed it so, because the Father sent the Son to live and die and rise again for us, because the Father bestowed his gift of grace on us in our baptism, because the Father offers his Son to us again and again in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. And if that doesn't lead you to rejoice, I'm not sure what will. Because after you've been invited to a wedding, you get to the wedding, you enjoy the feast of the wedding, what else is there left to do but rejoice and celebrate the union you have witnessed? In St. Paul's Epistle of the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul reminds us to constantly rejoice in the Lord because he is the one who has provided everything for us, and he will continue to provide for us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Indeed, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And again, looking at Isaiah 25, 1. O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. I can think of nothing more comforting than knowing that I carry the name of the Son of the King of the Cosmos. The Father cares about me so much that He invited me to the wedding of His Son, and He clothed me in His righteousness. 
and he nourishes me with a feast beyond my comprehension. So I leave you with St. Paul's words in Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for thank you for the sacraments of baptism and communion. Thank you for sustaining us in your grace through these physical means that you have given us. Lord, help us never forget the sacrifice that you made for us and that you provide yourself for us every week at the table. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.